0: Well hey, good morning to you, Grace. It is good to see you this morning. If you are visiting us for the first time today, I wanna to extend a personal welcome to you. Thank you for coming today. I hope you sit back and relax and enjoy your Sunday morning. I'm gonna ask all of you, to please, to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans chapter one, Romans chapter one. Don't worry, we are still in the series entitled Beginning and Ending. And that title comes from a sermon that I preached quite a few weeks ago now in which i included this the six pivotal events that extended throughout human history and the purpose of this series is to focus on the first one uh creation origins where it all came from and the last one the completion the conclusion the way that this whole thing is going to end and the bible does have answers for questions that we have in those areas This last week I read uh, an article, and the title of the article was, 4% of Christian parents pass on a biblical worldview to their kids. 4% of Christian parents pass on a biblical worldview to their kids. And when it uses that phrase worldview, that just means the way that the world is viewed. Through what lens do you view and understand what's happening in our world today? Uh, through what lens do you then operate or, or live or uh, spend your money or respond to the way that the world operates? What's the lens through which you observe and understand the world? And so there's lots of worldviews that a person can have. You could have a biblical one where you understand the biblical perspective of life and humanity and their relationship to God. Or you could have other ones. You could have ones that don't include God. You, have, you could have ones where the environment is worshipped. Like there's, the, there's a lot of different worldviews that you could have. But the title of this article was that 4% of Christian parents pass on a biblical worldview to their kids. Now the good news is that 4% of Christian parents are passing on a biblical worldview to their kids. But the bad news is, four <laughs> percent are passing on a biblical worldview to their kids, which means ninety-six percent of Christian parents are not passing on a biblical worldview to their kids. And the article was a really interesting one uh, because it, it really uh, it was like it was commentary on the further uh, a- analysis of the numbers. Like, like, why that is. Why is it that that Christian parents aren't passing on a biblical worldview? And I kind of imagined, or, you know, you, you always try to answer the question before the question is answered for you in something you read. And so you always try to figure out the ending of the book before the ending of the book comes. And so my assumption was that, that Christian parents have just become more progressive. That Christian parents are like, well, I don't want to make my kids believe what I believe, and so I'm going to give... Uh, the school teachers, you know, their time, and I'm going to give YouTube its time, and I'm ge- going to give Instagram its time, and I'm going to give the TV its time, and I'm going to give movies their time. Well, yeah, I'll bring my kids to church. I'll give God his time, and whatever my kids want to believe, they can believe, but that's not what it was. That's not why only 4% of Christian parents are passing on a biblical worldview. There are two reasons why. The number one reason why Christian parents aren't passing on a biblical worldview to their kids is because they don't even know if they have one. Let that sink in for a minute. Secondly is if they do know that they have one, they don't know how to pass it on. They don't have the tools. They're not equipped to pass it on. And you know, I read an article like that and, and, and I, I read this stuff introspectively, you know. Like, I read something like that, and, and I try to, try to think, how am I doing in this? I don't say, oh, all those bad parents. <laughs> you, you could read it like that, all those other bad parents. But I always read this stuff and wonder how I'm doing in that, and I'm sure there are some wins, and I'm sure there are some losses for me. Uh, but I, I just want to be clear. I want to be overtly clear that what we are teaching in this series is biblical worldview stuff. So now you have some tools that you could pass on to your kids. Like the idea that God created the world in six 24-hour days and rested on the seventh day is a biblical worldview. And that's not exactly what they're getting at school. That's not what their kids, your kids are getting on YouTube, that's not what they're getting on TV. And so this is a biblical worldview. And I've given you a lot of tools. You you know, you're thinking, well, how do I teach them that? Well, I've given you lots of ideas. We've talked about uh, did humans live with dinosaurs, kids love that conversation, we've talked about aliens, we've talked about uh, Darwin's finches, we've talked about the peppered moth, we've talked about the Loch Ness monster, we've talked about, we've talked about the Flintstones, for goodness sake. So, I mean, like, we, we've covered a lot of ground to give you tools to pass on, like, a, a, a view of the world that comes from Scripture. Even like last week, last week we talked about how God created the world in six 24-hour days, and then he rested. And when he did that, that was an interesting thing because he could have created it all like boom, in a second, like in a millisecond, but he extended it, it was much longer than it had to be because he wanted to give us a model, the gold standard for a live, work, worship kind of life. And so this is biblical worldview kind of stuff. And so we learned that Christians who follow scripture we work hard six days and we rest. We, we rest in the Lord on that seventh day. And so this is biblical worldview stuff. So that's what you teach your kids about going to work. That's why you go to work, to provide a roof over your own head and your family's head. And you go to work to provide not only for your own family but, but also for uh, those in your family who might be down and out in the moment. And you also go to work to set aside some money even for uh, some people, maybe even your own church family who are a little down and out because that's the biblical worldview of work. You set aside some of your money for yourself but also some of your money for other people. I know that that's not a a typical worldview of our secular culture. Our worldview of our secular culture is, uh, you're a sucker if you lost out. Too bad for you. (laughs) You snooze, you lose, uh, but that's not the biblical worldview. And so that's what we teach our kids about work and why you go to work to provide for yourself, but also to provide for other people. But you work six, and then you rest one. You rest in the Lord. You rest because you realize that God doesn't give you all of your income, or that you realize that you don't make all of your income, that God gives you your income. You realize that you, you don't solve all of your own problems, that God is the one that gives you peace and joy in the middle of all of the difficulty. You realize that you don't hold the whole world together, that the world's not going to fall apart if uh, you don't show up to work on McDonald's, uh, at McDonald's on Sunday. It's God is the one that holds everything together and so you can rest in the Lord, so we give a, a day to the, to the Lord, the Lord's day, a day of rest, of, of worship, and of relax, and of reducing our stress because we've given it to God, realize that God is over everything. This is a biblical worldview. And so when you model it for your kids, and you tell them why you're doing what you're doing, this is how origins, the, the first chapter of the Bible, creates a, a view of the world in which we operate. And I just want to make that clear. So th- this series is covering the, the first part of these uh, 6 pivotal events and the last one. And today is the final part of Origins. Next week, we're moving on to the conclusion, the completion of everything, because you know, I, our culture has like, experienced a lot of wackiness in the last couple of years. You know, when, when COVID hit, People are wondering, is this the way that it's all going to end? Is this, is this the apocalypse? Is this, this how it's all going to go down? And then, and then now, with all of the, you know the war that's going on and everything, right now, I read an article yesterday on Google News. <laughs> Get your news from Google News. <laughs> I don't know. So I read an article on Google News, and, and the article was about how people's stress level is so high right now because they are worried of uh, a nuclear war. That, that Russia is going to, you know, bomb somebody with, with uh, the nukes and then the rest of the world is going to return the favor. And the concern is, is, is this the way that the world is going to end? Are we like at the brink of the apocalypse? But you know the Bible has answers to these questions? We don't have to wonder the answers to any of this. And so next week we're going to start talking about the ending, the way that it is going to end so that, so that we can have a worldview that's clear, that, it, that it is settled in the Lord's direction, the Lord's program for our world. But anyway, today is the last one in this section of creation, and there's a lot of speculation when it comes to the origins of, of everything, the origins of the universe, the origins of humans, and the origins of the earth. And one of those speculations is that there are hidden messages in the cosmos— There's an article on Life Science Magazine and LifeScience.com. I highlighted it and red-arrowed it so you could see what the title was. But the title is, Did the Universe's Creator Hide a Message in the Cosmos? And the subtitle to that, if you can't read it, is, Why a Physicist is Looking for That Message. And the thought process is that if if there is an intelligent designer, then he would have left some sort of breadcrumbs of his existence. And so these, these physics majors, these physics doctors, uh, these physicists, are looking at the cosmic microwave background for those breadcrumbs, for this message from the intelligent designer. The, the CMB, the cosmic microwave background, is the oldest light in the universe. It is visible across the space, and these microwaves have been traveling throughout space ever since the very first atoms were created at the very beginning of it all. And so what these physicists have done is they have been able to convert these microwaves into a simplistic binary code. I'm I'm not going to lose you here. Binary code is ones and zeros. The CMB binary code is this. So they have taken the, the microwaves that, that, are, that are from the origins of the very first atoms that have just been bouncing around the universe ever since the, the, the very first, and they've reduced it down to a binary code because their thought is, is that any intelligent life could, could notice a, a pattern, uh, a repetition in binary code. And so these physicists have been looking for the breadcrumbs of... Uh, some, ori- some creator of the universe in the CMB. You want to know what the results are? W- where the physicists have, have landed? Well, this is it. This is what they say. We may conclude that there is no obvious message on the CMB sky. Yet, it remains unclear whether there is or was a creator, whether we live in a simulation, or whether the message is printed correctly, but we just fail to understand the message. That's their response. And so today we're going to let livescience.com set our direction, and that is going to be the title for today's sermon. Did the universe's creator hide a message in the cosmos? The Bible has answers to this. So you're in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, uh, we're beginning to put our toe into deeper understandings, uh, deeper uh deeper thoughts uh, when it comes to uh, the impact of origins and the way that we understand the world as it exists today, our worldview. And so let's read Romans 1, 18 to 25, and then we'll uh, study it a little bit further. It says this in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever so this will set us on a direction in answering this question did the universe's creator hide a message in the cosmos and you can see in verse 20 there that the the center of this the focus of this passage is creation it says for since the creation of the world creation is the focus and kind of the the theme here is is that creation genesis chapter 1 should um, impact your worldview That Genesis chapter 1 should inform your view view of the world. That that Genesis chapter 1, that creation should impact the way that you understand the way that the world operates. But for some people, they reject it. That's kind of the point here. That creation should inform, impact, refine your understanding of the world. But some people, they don't want to hear it. Let's go back to verse 18. Of Romans 1, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, this is referring to evolution. This is referring to the Big Bang Theory. This is referring to time and chance produced everything that we have. The focus here is creation, and there are people who suppress the truth about creation, who suppress the truth about the existence of God and His revealing of His existence, His divine nature, through through creation. Instead, they have come up with a different alternative views. And as a result of that, in verse 18, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against those people who suppress the truth. And so when we read like about God's wrath, sometimes we apply like a human understanding of the word wrath to God. We like anthropomorphize God a little bit, where when we think of wrath, we have our own English word and we have our own American understanding of wrath. It's like a, a visceral response, an emotional response to a negative thing, and it's bam, you know, you experience the wrath of Nathan, you know. That's how we understand the word wrath. And so sometimes we apply that to God, that this is some sort of emotional tantrum of God as a result of something. But what's great about uh, the way that the New Testament was written, it was written in a very specific language. And it wasn't written in English. I know you're looking at your Bibles in English. This is a translation. It was originally written in Greek. And Greek has many words to describe a word that we only have one of. Like an example would be love. You know, I say I love burritos and I love Tanya. And the only way that you understand what kind of love that is is by the context of that sentence, right? But in Greek, that's not the case. There are many different words for the word love to know specifically what that word meant. And the same is true with this word wrath. an emotional wrath, a Greek word is thumos. That's the, that's the Greek word for an emotional tantrum, a visceral response kind of anger. But that's not the word that is used here. The word used here is orge. Orge is a rational wrath. This isn't based on temper. This is a wrath like a, like a judge in a courtroom kind of wrath. You know, a judge in a courtroom, is, he doesn't get emotional. He, he is very stable. He is very rational. And he is just levying a, an appropriate discipline upon someone who deserves it. And so this is God's wrath. And the, the scripture is like a, a record of God's wrath throughout human history. When Adam and Eve were uh, ejected out of the Garden of Eden, that's God's wrath. When, Sodom and Gor- when fire came from, from the sky and, and consumed Sodom and Gomorrah, that's God's wrath. And so this isn't referring to like a permanent eternal wrath. That's another kind of wrath of God. Another description. This is referring to a a a, a continuous, immediate thing that's happening now. So Sodom and Gomorrah, or uh, or the the flooding the world. Flooding the world wasn't an emotional. Oh, I get some Adams. I just want to get him right now. It's it's a part of God's wrath. orge, a rational judge that is meeting out an appropriate judgment. And that is the kind of wrath that falls upon a world or a people who reject the truth about God's existence and the revealing of God's existence, verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. Think about this for a minute. Everything that you know about God, even like saying the word, even like thinking about a deity at all, The only reason that you can do that is because God has revealed himself to you. We would know nothing about anything about God unless God revealed himself, or his words here made it evident that he has given evidence to the fact that God exists. Now, what is that evidence? Verse 20, for, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse." The universe that was created in six twenty-four 24-hour days and God rested on, on the seventh day, that is the same universe that we live in. The same earth that was created in those six twenty-four 24-hour days is the same earth that we live on today. And this earth declares things about where it came from. And verse 20 tells us what those things are, that there is an eternal power and that eternal power is divine. There's divine nature in this. And so the... The earth declares God's glory. The universe declares God's glory. The sun, the moon, the stars declare God's glory. The, looking at the intricacies of DNA declares that there's a God. Looking at the, the, the refinements of a human eye are just astoundingly detailed. And when you look at all of these things, it, there's got to be a power that is divine behind all of this. So I think this through. There are breadcrumbs that have been left. The breadcrumbs are the universe. <laughs> the, the breadcrumb is the sequoia tree. The breadcrumb is DNA. The, the breadcrumb is the intricacies of the eyeball. The, the breadcrumb is the earth. The breadcrumb is the atmosphere. Those are a little bigger than trying to find zeros and ones in the cosmic microwave floating around the universe. So verse 20 tells us that that Earth universe his creation is his very first way of revealing himself the very first way of giving evidence to the fact that he exists what's the evidence how has God made it evident to them it is evident just look around it's evident and that's what verse 20 is saying that's why it says there that it's been clearly seen yeah just look around being understood through what has been made. That's referring to creation. The, the six days of creation, everything that you know, that you see, things that you haven't seen, things that you can't see, microscopic things, were all made in those six, 24 hours, so that they are without excuse. Who are without excuse? Those people who say there is no God. No, 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 no. It's not that, it's not that, they, that they don't think there's a God. It's that they reject that there is one they don't they don't want to believe it they push it away it's not that they don't know about him we even know that in the next verse verse 21 for even though they knew god they did not honor him as god or give thanks but became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened professing to be wise they became fools that's an interesting phrase this is why a first grader from our kids ministry over here can be very clear about the origins of the universe by simply saying that God made it in six days. And a physicist with a lot of PhDs behind his name and a lot of really big words in a really thick book can make origins sound so confusing because, professing to be wise, they have become fools. Because just look around! The, The earth is the breadcrumb that the scientists and physicists are looking for. It's a pretty one to find, a pretty big one to find. And exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, of birds and four-footed animals and and crawling creatures, we'll get to that in a minute. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. God gave them over to all of this. If you break a scientific law, you're you're gonna pay the price. If you break a scientific law, you'll pay the price. And if you break God's laws, you're going to pay a price. But if you break a scientific law, let's say you go to uh, Grand Canyon. If you've ever been to Grand Canyon, uh, you walk up to a wall. And then there's a little wall about stands this high. And right beyond that wall, like three micrometers, is like straight down 500 feet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you walk up to this. You have a little three-foot thing and then it's straight down. And so then you, ha- you have some, some goofs that run all the way up to that and then they step up on that thing and then they take a picture. I don't know why they even step up on that thing. I mean, you could stand right here and take the same picture, but no, 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 they stand up on that thing. And if you say, oh, you know, I think I'm going to test the law of gravity and I think I can fly and I'm going to jump off, you're going to pay the price. There are lots of stories they have books that they sell in the National Park gift shop about all the people who try just that. And it's called Deaths in, in the National Park. Almost every National Park has a book like that. They're, it's interesting reading if you're interested. <laughs> so you pay a price if you break a natural law, and you pay a price if you break a moral law of God. You suffer if you break these laws. And it talks about, in verse 24, God gives them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity. God lets you go as far down the slippery slope as you want to go. That's, it's kind of a scary thing. You know? I mean, you can begin to doubt six days of creation, then you can begin to um, second-guess it, and then you can begin to reject it, and then you can begin to deny it, and then you can come up with the with, uh, reasons why it's, it's all the big uh, farce. And God will continue to let you go. And that's not just in your view of origins, that's in every aspect, every part of sin. God will let you go as far as you want to go. You know, the, the gospel is such a wonderful thing. It's, it, the gospel is so strong that it can save anybody. But sin is also very powerful, and God will let you go as far into sin as you want to go. And sometimes that's what, how far people go. Sometimes they go so far. It's not just... Uh, it, it's not just. It, it's interesting. In verse twenty four, says God gives them over unto the lust of their heart to impurity, so that uh, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worship the creature. They worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. It's not that they exchanged God's truth for nothing. I have never met a person that says, no, 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 I don't believe that God created the world. I believe nothing. There is not a book out there that that says, I believe nothing. That would be a very short book. Humans are like intrinsically religious people. We, We need to believe something. And so notice what it says here. It says that they exchange the truth about the existence of God and the revealing of God through all of nature, through the world, they exchange that truth of God for a lie. And what is that lie? That lie is they start worshiping the creature. They start worshiping the ozone layer. They start start worshiping the dolphins. They start worshiping the killer whales. They start worshiping the water. They start worshiping the air. But they neglect the creator of it all. And so that's why wrath comes upon the world. Because of the truth of God that's declared in the cosmos, that's declared in your eyeball, that's declared in your DNA, that's declared on this rock that we live on, that's declared in the trees that we breathe air from, is all rejected. And so the question is, is did... The universe's creator hide a message in the cosmos. The answers yes. <laughs> What's the message? There is a God. That's the message. There has to be a God. Just look around. Look at the universe. Look up at night. There has to be a God. There has to. This is the way that God has revealed himself. This is the first way, the primary way, Genesis chapter 1 is more than just the operations of where everything came from. I mean, that's interesting study like at the beginning, but now you begin to realize that God created the world to show us that he exists. He didn't have to. He could have stayed hidden, but he showed us that he exists. God reveals himself in a lot of ways, and In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, is one of those ways. It's called general revelation. There are two ways, actually, that God reveals himself. One is general revelation, and one is called specific revelation or detailed revelation. And when we use the word revelation, we just mean like reveal, um, expose, tell someone, that's what revelation means like god r- reveals himself to humanity through the earth the earth the, the atmosphere that's a way generally that god reveals himself to humanity like he, he he's pulling back the curtain he did he didn't have to he could have stayed hidden he got god didn't need to tell he doesn't need us as friends he could have stayed in perfect unity with god the holy spirit and he didn't need us at all and yet, he is pulling back the curtain and exposing himself, which was previously hidden as soon as he creates the universe. He tells humanity about himself. And there are ways that he tells people about himself. Generally, there are some general ways that God reveals himself to people. And one is the one that we've been talking about so far, nature. Nature reveals that God exists. In Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, it says this. It says, The heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. You just look out into outer space and you realize compared to that, I am so insignificant. There has to be a supreme power. There has to be deity. Has to be something grander than human that is out there. That's what that's what creation declares. Even, did you know that nature even goes beyond that? It, it tells us, nature tells us of attributes of who God is. Check this out. In Acts chapter 14, it says this. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet, he did not leave himself without witness. So f- Follow what this is saying here. God allows people to spread out all over around the world. And yet, God didn't allow these people to go everywhere without evidence. That's the verse 19 word without evidence of Him and His goodness. He he gave them them a, a witness of Him. And notice what that witness was. It says that He did good and gave you rains from heavens and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. God shows His goodness by providing food, by providing rain. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 5, it says that God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, meaning that God allows both good and evil people to grow crops with the sun, that God allows both righteous and unrighteous people to grow their crops with the, with the rain that comes all from God. God's goodness is seen through nature. And so, at its very basic aspect, nature, is a general way of God revealing himself or a general evidence of God's existence. But there are more. How about this one? Providence. God's providence. By studying history, by looking through the rearview mirror, we can see that God has a a, a plan. He has like like a, 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 a program that he is slowly revealing to us as we go throughout human history. If you come on Wednesday nights, uh, our prime time, our verse by verse, we're studying uh, two books of the Bible, Ruth and Esther, and we've talked about God's enormous sovereignty. Sovereignty is what's described in these verses as this enormous power. God has power to do anything that he decides to do. He can do anything that he decides to do. That's his sovereignty. But providence is something different, a little nuance to that. Because his sovereignty doesn't just get rolled out in his emotion. You know, I got mad, so boom, going to flood the world. Ha <laughs> ha, I got them, that'll show them. That's kind of how we imagine things to happen. But that's, that's, not, that's not how God rolls out his sovereignty, his power. I mean, he can do anything that he wants. But it is rolled out through his program, his providence, his plans on, on planet Earth. And sometimes his plans are really hard to see as we're, as before they happen, but we can see them after they, you know, twenty twenty, hindsight is great. And so Job talks about that in uh, Job 38. This is what he says. He says, have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of hail, which I have reserved for the time of distress for the day of war and battle? Question mark. He's saying, what are the chances of it snowing on the exact day that I needed to snow for battle? What are the chances of that? God reveals himself in his providential. It's not just nature. It is God orchestrating things on, on planet Earth to, to work things out. What are the chances that the, the Germans were, were stopped in Russia in World War II because of the snow? What are the chances of that? It's God's providence. And then, in Psalm Psalm 57, verses 6 and 7, it says, God is the judge, he puts down one, and he exalts another. The Bible talks here and other places about how God installs leaders uh, in, in places around the world by his providence, by his design. What are the chances that as Hitler and Stalin are rising to, to power, that then at the same time you have Churchill and Roosevelt that God placed there to, be a, to br- be a brick wall against the evil that was rolling throughout the world? What are the chances of that? It's God's providence in putting leaders into place at the right time in the right ways. Those of you who come on Wednesday nights to our Esther and our Ruth, you, you are intimately familiar with the providence that were in the lives of people that, uh, that they could not have imagined that God would have worked it out. But once they get through it, they can look back and say, wow, God is working through all of these things. Just the, f- just the fact that there are so many lucky events all strung together <laughs> begins to speak of God's providence. But that's not the only way that God reveals himself through nature and through providence. There's other ways, too, generally, through preservation. God preserving humans, God preserving uh, everything on planet Earth, for instance. Scripture talks about humans in this way. For in him we live and we move and we exist. You know, when the flood occurred in Genesis, the Genesis flood, the, 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 the water, the atmospheric water, most of it left the the air and it was poured out down onto planet Earth. There was before the flood It was very thick um, Marine layer It was like a greenhouse all the time very stable very stable environment uh, Didn't have all the storms didn't have it have the UV rays that, that we have today because it was a very thick atmosphere And as soon as all that water poured that's that's where all the water came from to fill up planet Earth to flood the entire world and and so then, now all that water is here on, in the oceans. That's the water that we have today, is that came out of the air. And so now we have UV rays that we never had before. We have storms, uh, there are weather patterns, the four seasons all come as a result of these changes in the, the world that is around us. And if it wasn't for God maintaining humanity, humans would have already died off from a very harassing planet. We would already all be gone. And, and if it wasn't for God protecting us, if, if we could have figured out how to survive, we would have all killed each other. <laughs> and so God protects humanity on planet Earth, but it, it's, even, it's, even, it's even more detailed than that. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is a universal preservation that, that God does for us. If you've ever taken a science class, like intro to science or biology, whatever the first one is, you'll know that the atom is like an anomaly. The the atom is, is like an enigma to scientists because an atom is supposed to, if it followed all the laws of nature, an atom is supposed to just fly apart. An atom is supposed to just explode. But there is some force that is holding that atom together. And scientists don't really know what the force is that is holding that that atom together. Well, what is the force? That force is general revelation of God's preservation of even the most basic building block of life, the atom. If the atom wasn't an atom, then none of the rest of this would be this. And so the very fact that we even still exist is general re- revelation that God is holding things together. Now if that wasn't enough for you, God also generally reveals himself through conscience. The fact that that there is right and wrong. Where did that even come from? The, the fact that the fact that a a uh, culture that is completely untainted by outsiders. Uh, some 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 group of peoples in the middle of the forest, in some place in the world that no one has ever reached, they have morals, they have expectations, they have laws, they have uh, rules. Why? Where did that even come from? Well, the Bible tells us that. Romans chapter 2, you can look at it in your Bible or it's on the screen. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. It says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, do instinctively the things of the law. These not having law are a law to themselves. So stop right there for a minute. Let let me kind of unwrap these words a little bit. He's saying, okay, we have these Gentiles. They, They have never been exposed to Moses. They've never been exposed to the Mosaic law. They've never been exposed to the Ten Commandments. They've never been exposed to the the way things that God wants them to be. And yet, they have laws, don't kill. Why? We have people that have never been exposed to the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. And yet, they have criminals who steal and they put them in jail. Why? Why? They have no sense of God's law. They have no sense of God's morality that is given directly through, through the angels to, to Moses. Why do they have that? that there's a, there, there are cultures who don't have any aspect of, of God's direct written morality, and yet there's an expectation that you honor your parents. Why is that? Why? Well, keep reading. Look at verse 15 in that they show the work of the law written on their hearts. God wrote morality on human hearts. Why do humans all around the world have a propensity to create laws and to obey laws? Because God has written it on their hearts. Their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or defending them, meaning I did do that or I didn't do that, all built within sight of them. Where did that come from? This, this conscience willing to obey a law or willing to, to create a law all comes from general revealing that God exists and is in place to in someone's heart. And so now the question is in all of this, you look at these things in the way that God has revealed himself. This is the evidence that God has given people generally about him and the question is is are these four enough to save somebody i know we just went a little deeper you're like what (laughs) okay like sun moon and stars is that enough to save somebody you look at the sun does, does does that save you the the, the 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 fact that that god providentially the fact that that things um lucky things happen to happen in a string in an order does that save anybody the, the fact that the atom is held together it, it, does that bring salvation once you see that and know that okay you're starting to get the point here just because someone has a, a conscience does that save somebody no So this general revelation is wonderful. This is the primary way, the first way that God has revealed himself is through nature, is through the world, is through plants and animals and and all of these things. But that's not the only way that he has revealed himself. There is also specific revelation. Specific revelation is different. While general revelation generally is things, you know, like... um, uh, the law, you know, the fact that there, there is law, or mountains, or sun, or history. You know, th- these are all aspects of God's general revealing. But specific revelation, the way that God has specifically revealed himself is primarily through words, or very specific, detailed things. Very specific. Primarily words, though. Here are some ways that God has specifically, or in a detailed way, revealed himself, shown himself to humanity. He has appeared on planet Earth before. These are called theophanies. When, they, when God shows, him, shows up and makes himself known, you can think of the a pillar of cloud and uh, the, the cloud pillar and the fire pillar that led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. That was God. That was a theophany. Boom. God here on planet Earth. When, um, when, uh, when Jacob wrestled with, the, with Jesus, that was a Christophany, Jesus Christ being here on, on planet Earth, the burning bush. Moses seeing the bush that never burned up. That was God here. Now, ha- have you ever seen a bush that didn't burn up? Have you ever wrestled with Jesus? Okay, so that wasn't specific revelation specifically to you. But there's other specific revelations. Maybe, maybe some of these other ones. Okay? God has directly communicated to people in Scripture. He directly communicated with an audible voice to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, to Cain, to Noah in Genesis chapter 9. Now, God probably has not spoken in an audible voice to you. He has not spoken in an audible voice to me. God spoke in the Old Testament in dreams to Abimelech and to Joseph in Genesis 37. But God has not spoken to me or probably you through dreams either. God spoke through visions, particularly to prophets like Daniel and and Amos, but he also spoke through visions to Abraham. God spoke through angels. You know that uh, angels were the conduit of the law of God to, to Moses, that God used the angels as the conduit, so God speaks through the angels to, to Moses and to the people of Israel. When uh, the birth of Jesus came and the angels came and they declared to the, the shepherds that the, 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 the Christ has been born in Bethlehem and you should go see him, that was all done, God speaking through the angels. But when's the last time an angel spoke to you? This is all God's direct revealing, the direct evidence to various peoples of Him and His existence and the truth about Him. Probably the most famous, the one that you're thinking of, is when Jesus came to earth. That's called the Incarnation. When the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, came to earth, He didn't leave His divinity behind, He brought His divinity with Him. He was God and man and the reason that he did that was to live a perfect life so that he could die on the cross for the sins of the world, a perfect sacrifice for humans that needed to be saved. That was a wonderful reason that he came. But when he came, that was pretty specific, and he had words, and he had a, had a purpose, and he had his gospel that he brought with him. But you weren't alive during that time, were you? You didn't see Jesus walking around, did you? But there's, a, there's another way. There's another aspect of specific, detailed revelation that is words, and that is, the Bible. That's the Bible. Now that's something that you're holding in your lap right now. That's something that you have. The Bible is God's written revelation to you and to me. And through this, we can correctly interpret all of the other revelations that God has provided for people. And so that's the one, that's the one that you have. And so yeah, you, know, you look at these again, you go back here and you look at these. And you think, okay, so what is actually necessary for salvation? Like, what what is needed for someone to be saved, right? One is knowing that you need to be, right? Knowing that there's sin. And the second, then, would be uh, knowing the way. Knowing that you need to be saved, knowing that you've done something that you shouldn't have done. And there's a result of that. And so I need someone to rescue me from that sin, from that thing that I shouldn't have done. And then the way to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. So that's what's necessary for salvation. So you you look at these two. You say, okay, is there enough in general revelation to save somebody? Like just by looking out in the stars, looking out in the universe, convincing someone that uh, God made the world, is that enough? Does that save I think we'd all say, no, that's not enough. But then let me ask you, in, in specific revelation, in the Bible, is there enough in the Bible to save somebody? Let's just say the Bible just washed up on a shore of a people group that had never heard of anything, and they got the Bible. Is there enough in here to save them, or do they need you to communicate it to? No, Yeah, there's enough in Scripture. There's enough in Scripture to save somebody. And so that's, this is the, the what's what Romans chapter one verses eighteen to twenty five is describing this this process moving somebody from the basic general understandings that God exists to a more specific and detailed uh, aspect of this saving grace of Jesus Christ. So it'd be like it'd be like um, it'd be like this, you know, someone in uh, in Africa in a, some middle forest where nobody has ever been before, a language that nobody ever knows before. But there's someone in that, in that tribe, in, in that clan in Africa, when they look up into the universe, they say, wow, th- there is obviously a power there that is bigger than me. It's some divine something out there. And... And then they, they realize that they have a conscience, and they, they're sensitive to that conscience, and they, they want to do right, but they know that they don't always do right. But that's about all that they know. But then there's some family in Ohio, young couple, have, have three little little ones, and, and they start to get the, the sense that, that God might want them to go to Africa to be a missionary. And you're like, why Africa? God, like, I mean, I'd go anywhere. I'll go anywhere, just not Africa. Why Africa? So they, end up, they take their three little kids. They go off to Africa. They, they start to learn a language that, that they've never known before. And they learn enough about that language that they could tell people about who Jesus is. And they go in and they find that people group. And they tell them what they know about Jesus. And so that person that that had already lived up to the amount of information that they did have, the general revealing that they had, now God can lead them in further information, and it could be fully revealed of the way of salvation. That's the story. But the point of Romans chapter 1 is, is that most people reject the very first one on general revelation. That's the point of all of this. God reveals himself in so many ways, but most people are rejecting just the fact that the earth declares God. (laughs) They reject that part. They're not interested even in, in that part of his revealing, much less any of the other aspects of his revealing. And so God says that he gives them over to that desire. He lets them go further and further and further I mean they are as it's as it says in verse 20 they are without excuse. So sometimes people wonder well what about those uh, those people in in uh, somewhere in the middle of Africa who who never uh, heard the gospel before what about them they're without excuse. What about your your neighbor that never goes to church is without excuse. W- what about Everybody is without excuse as now we realize that God has revealed himself in so many ways. Generally, through nature, and as God knows that someone is living up to what they already know, God will make sure that that person knows even further about who Jesus is. Now, of course, the the specific revelation, I mean, even if someone lives up, they say, Wow, there must be a God out there. there. There must be something divine out there. Look at the power that made all of this. But then they hear the gospel. They can still reject that specific revelation, can't they? They can still reject it. There, there are people all around the, the America today that have heard the good news of Jesus and they say, eh, I'm not, in, I'm not into that. And God will let them go as far away from him as they want to go. And so what happens is as people come up with their own beliefs, it's not that they don't believe anything. They just come up with another belief system So now speaking of worldviews, understanding the world through a biblical context, now you know why all the religions in the world exist. Because people don't like the truth that's in the Bible, they reject that, and so they pick another one. Nobody ever says, I believe nothing. They just start believing something else. Now speaking of worldviews, that helps us understand the the place that we live in, the things that are going on around us a, a lot more. And so they, instead of the glory of God, they exchange that for an image of incorruptible things. And so that's when we start worshiping the environment. We start worshiping the birds or the animals or anything else that is around us. And they begin to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And so the question is did the universe's creator hide a message in the cosmos and so what's the answer yes it's like everything look around del taco green burritos ah there's a god in heaven (laughs) everything that god created on days one two three four five and six are the breadcrumbs that the physicists are still desperately trying to unearth somewhere. That's the message of the universe. That's the message of Genesis chapter one, that there is a God and that he loves that world so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for their sin, so that they didn't have to end up in eternity in hell paying for their own sin, but they could end up in heaven. You know, the Bible says that God wishes that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. God wishes that every single person would change their mind about Jesus and go to heaven and not go to hell. I mean, hell wasn't even created for human beings. That's another sermon for another day. I'll get back on track. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell, including you or your family members. He wants you and them to repent, to change their mind about Jesus and go to heaven. And that's the message of the creation. God revealing himself enough so that you would know how to get to heaven. And so now you know. It is belief in Jesus, changing your mind about Jesus, that he is God and that he died on the cross for your sins. Now, of course, now you have received specific revealing of God through his word. And so now you can decide to accept that or you can decide to reject it. That's up to you. Um, Romans 1 tells us that God will let you go any direction that you want to go. He didn't create robots. He created people that they could decide. And I hope that you would change your mind. I hope that you would put your faith in Jesus. So if you've never put your faith in Jesus as your savior, today could be the day. I'm gonna ask everyone in here to bow their heads and close their eyes. Would you be willing to do that for just a minute? It creates a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. And it allows you to consider these things before God. So even if you already know that you're going to heaven, um, if you would just kind of create a distraction-free environment for the people around you. You don't know them and their heart. And so you can talk to God about this. You don't, I, don't, I don't give salvation. That's God that gives it. And so you can talk to God about this. It's called prayer. Maybe you're not sure what to say to him in prayer, and so I'll, I can help you. If you want to put your faith in Jesus today, to have him remove your sins, to have his death apply in your life, to have your sins removed so that you can have eternity in heaven, all you do is you change your mind about Jesus. You believe, you trust in him. And so you talk to him about that. You just say that back to him. Here's what you can say. You could say, God, I know that I've sinned. I know I've done things I shouldn't have done. And I realize that that, that creates a, a future, a destiny for me that is terrible in hell. And I know that I need a savior. I need someone to rescue me from that. And I believe that Jesus is that rescuer. I believe that he is the savior. I believe that he is God. I believe that he came to earth and he died on the cross for my sin." And I believe that He rose from the grave, proving that He is God and He can remove my sin. And I put my faith, my trust, my belief in this Jesus. I put my eternity into His hands. And God, though most of the people in this uh, room are are already saved, we we praise you for your revealing. We we thank you for giving us the 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 evidence. We thank you that you have made it evident to us about you. Because you didn't have to. You you could have remained hidden. You could have remained on your own and been completely justified doing so. But your grace has allowed you to reveal yourself to us. And God, I do pray that you would help us to apply what we've learned through the book of Genesis and through Origins. Apply it to our understanding of our world and our culture that we live in today. I know it's applicable. We've seen it now applicable. And and I pray that that your revealing through through your your world, and then eventually through your word, would help us in the culture that we live in today. And we thank you for your provision for us and all these things. And that's why we worship you as a corporate group today. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.